Good morning, everyone. I hope you've had a lovely week, because I have. And we've been blessed uh, being part of uh, the teens camp and seeing what those young people uh, did over there and also the, the leaders that were there. We had about 100 people, over 100 people, I think, altogether, and more than 20 of them were leaders. And many of those first-time leaders... Now, there are, for those of you who don't, uh, aren't familiar with the camp, this was a teens camp, so um, we had about 83 teenagers there from various churches, uh, some from, not from even churches, so who just had come along. And um, we had a special guest speaker uh, called Dave Cotton, who we had heard before, who did an absolutely wonderful job delivering God's word. And as you've heard in the, um, in the prayer requests and the praises, that a number of those teenagers actually gave their lives to the Lord over this past week. Many of them committed their lives to him, and also many of them actually recommitted their lives to him in, from the point of view of, of wanting to walk more closely with him, which was absolutely wonderful from our perspective. Um, there are plenty of um, weary-eyed leaders, though, after a whole week of uh, starting at 7 and finishing up at about 11 uh, over a five-day period. Um, some of them were quite uh, tired, but it was absolutely rewarding to see how God was working. And, and what happened over that, the course of last week it relates to the message today. So I'm going to get you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. We're going to be looking at a particular subject um, which is altogether critical for the Christian, very important for us to, to understand. And when I say critical, um, I mean critical thinking which is uh, lacking in our, uh, our churches and our society these days. So the Bible has a, uh, a word for critical thinking, and that's the word discernment. So look out for that word as we read this passage today. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. This will be the beginning of a series focused on discernment, which means evaluating something and making a decision based on that evaluation. So let's read these together and let's commit this time to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And I become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father in heaven, we, uh, once again we come before your throne and we come before your throne with praise and thanksgiving because of who you are and because of what you've done for us. And we are only here today because of the wonderful sacrifice that was made for us. And we will be forever thanking you for that. Uh, because if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for the sacrifice of your only son, Father, we would not be here and we would have no hope in this world or in the next. So we thank you for that. And we ask that you'd be pleased with uh, what you hear today. We pray that our hearts would be open to you. And whatever message you have for us, Father, we pray that it would um, be accepted within our lives and that we would live those words which you speak to us. So we thank you once again. Father, I pray that you hide me once again behind your, behind your cross. 
I pray that you, um, uh, you only show Jesus and that he is lifted up in this place today. We thank you once again for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us. And we pray that it would be the seed in our lives that makes all the difference. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we noticed during the week is that the teens were able to show some amazing discernment when they've been taken out of an environment that continually bombards them with a particular way of thinking. You see, the world has a particular way of thinking. For those of you who don't, who don't know the word Kardashian, you have been spared of that. But the world has a particular way of thinking. The Western world has, in many cases, thrown out critical thinking and evaluating things on a, on a, from a logical point of view, um, and they have simply gone with the consensus. What the rest of the mob is doing is what everyone else does because they like to feel part of someone else. Maybe they've taken the, the theme, the safety in numbers, to the next extreme. That they've thrown out all their uh, logical reasoning and all their critical thinking. But it was wonderful to see over the last week that when teens are taken out of that environment and they just have a chance to think, they have a chance to listen, they have a chance to evaluate the Word of God, that they actually respond in the right way. And we saw many people respond, and many of those teenagers respond in a very, very positive way, saying, yeah, you're right. I can now evaluate the way I've been living for the past year and I realise the way I've been living isn't right. There are things in my life that I've been doing that don't line up with the truth. And when you believe the truth all of a sudden and you accept the truth, your, your life can be reflected in that truth. And that's what the Word of God is, essentially. The Word of God is a truth that God has given us. It's a truth that never changes and it acts like a mirror. That when we look at our own lives, we see our lives in that mirror and it's reflected back to us. And we all of a sudden realise those parts in our lives that don't match up to that truth. And if we're clear enough, and if we're not being harassed enough by the, by the devil and by the people of this world, and by, the, and by the mob mentality that we see around us, which is trying to conform everyone into a particular way of thinking, all of a sudden, your mind is free to actually think and to make a decision. And it was wonderful to see the way the Holy Spirit moved over this past week. We're looking forward to the week that's coming up as well. Because this coming week is what we call the junior camp and that's all the primary school children that are going there. And they're spending a whole week there as well. So pray for those leaders because if the teens were hard, those little ones are even harder because they have to be watched every step of the way. Um, so looking forward to um, the good news that Aaron's going to bring back for us as our church representative. Looking forward to what God does in his life too. So critical thinking is something that the Bible continually tells us we have to be doing. And the Bible tells us clearly that when you become a Christian, that God has given us a sound mind in order to evaluate things. And God is not... Some people look at faith and they say, oh, faith is contrary to reason. On the contrary, 
Faith is not contrary to reason and logic. Faith is actually in line with reason and logic. For it's God himself who says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It's God who says, come to me. Let's reason together this thing. Let me explain to you the importance of what I have to tell you and how it affects you. And if you look at the Christian message and what the Bible tells us about ourselves and about God, it's completely reasonable. It's not illogical. It's not unreasonable. It's not fairy tale. It's not myth. It is completely true when you look at what the Word of God says and how it actually reinforces a complete system of thinking which is perfectly rational. But critical thinking is lacking in our society in many ways. Let me tell you what critical thinking or discernment, as the Bible calls it, is like. And the world does have some sort of level of discernment because most people would not take drugs. Most people in our culture would not take drugs, although many do. So if they go and buy an ecstasy tablet or if they go and buy some sort of... uh, some sort of a drug from some sort of a drug dealer, those ones who, who buy those things um, in order to give themselves some sort of a, a high have put aside their critical thinking because what is the possible consequence of taking those things? You'll die. That's the pure and simple. In fact, while, while we're away, I think we, we heard about someone who had taken an ecstasy tablet over there in, uh, in Queensland when they were getting together for some sort of a party and they died. Actually... I think multiple people died because when you take those things, you don't know who's made them, what they've put in them. So people who don't take drugs because they've said, hang on a sec, if I take that drug, it may make me feel good for a while, but you know something? The consequences of it may be that I become addicted to it, that it will destroy my mind, and that it may kill me. That is a level of critical thinking and discernment. Do you understand? The fact that you're here today in church displays a level of discernment. Because what you've done is you've actually said, this thing called church that meets on a Sunday morning, is it worth going to? You've looked at that. You've you've seen what the Bible says about it. You've seen what God tells you about it, what the Lord Jesus tells you about it. And you've actually said, look, I've discerned that it's good for me to be in in church on a Sunday morning. It's right for me to be in church on a Sunday morning. And the the benefits of it far outweigh the bad things, like getting up in the morning. You have displayed a level of discernment. Discernment is something that unfortunately is lacking in our society. But it's expected at every sphere of life. Let's look at this. We as citizens of this country, we expect our governments to, to be discerning and to display a level of discernment when they make decisions concerning us, don't we? I mean, we expect them to evaluate the, the things that are at hand and we expect them to make good decisions which benefit the people of this country as a whole. We expect them to have a good understanding of laws. We expect them to have a good understanding of how to properly protect us, both from enemies, domestic and foreign. We expect them to have enough experience to be able to apply their knowledge in a way that doesn't damage our society. Sometimes they do okay, sometimes they don't do very well at all. 
You know, when King Solomon was made the king of Israel after his father passed away, he looked at the multitude of people that he now had responsibility for. And he prayed for something. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, and we'll see King Solomon's prayer to the Lord about his new position. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. It says there, and Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. He's speaking to God here. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people do you see his prayer his prayer was that he could properly judge make decisions and choices on behalf of the people so he asked God one simple thing give me the ability to be able to discern between good and bad give me the ability to be able to discern between good and bad because if I can discern between right and wrong, between good and bad, then I can make good choices on behalf of his people. And if you read the rest of that, um, that passage, you can read it in your own time, the Bible says that God was very pleased with the, 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 the request that he made, that one thing that he asked. He goes, you could have asked for long life, you could have asked for other things, but you chose to ask for wisdom to rule the people properly. So I'm going to give it to you in... Spades. I'm going to give it to you in, in, in abundance. And he did. And, Moses, and, and, sorry, and Solomon became one of the, the wisest men ever to have lived. So discernment is associated with wisdom. It's being able to take something, evaluate it, and then say, as a result of that evaluation, I'm going to choose to do this. That's what discernment is in a very simple way. So we expect our leaders to show discernment. You expect your church leaders to show discernment, don't you? Isn't your expectation of me and our deacons to, to make proper choices on behalf of the church? Of course it is. You have a level of trust in us and there's a level of trust that's, that's built into this position. And if I have no discernment and the experience to make the proper choices based on the fact that I'm saved, based on the fact that I've got experience in the Word of God and how to apply it, then you are all in a whole lot of trouble. Because if I don't have that experience and know how to apply it, this church will go in a direction that God doesn't want it to go in. And we see the results of pastors who don't show discernment and churches crumble and fail and they go into 
all types of errors and things. But I hope that your prayer is that we will continue to show that discernment because God needs to give us the grace for that as well. That's something I was born with. It's something that God gives. And it's something that the Holy Spirit continues to lead in. So if we're not following him, then we are in danger. In the home, parents are expected to have discernment for their children, aren't they? I mean, children can't be expected to have discernment because discernment needs to have the ability to to take something, to analyse it, and through experience, then make a choice. Children don't have that. So parents are expected to have discernment on behalf of their children. There is a, a level of expectation that parents are, who are responsible for their children are able, able to provide them security, food, clothing, shelter, and a loving environment in which that child can grow up to reach some sort of potential and to grow up with some sort of happiness. Once again, we don't see that displayed all, all, uh, all the time either. So from a biblical point of view, discernment is simply the ability to choose between good and evil. It's the ability to evaluate and choose what's evil and what's good. And then to actually make a decision about it and say, this is what I'm going to do as a result of knowing that. God expects all his children to be discerning, not just the pastors, not just the deacons or the leaders, not just the ones who experience. God expects us all to display a level of discernment because otherwise, the Bible says, we'll be like children being tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Everything, every new idea that comes along, we'll begin chasing after that. Because we don't have a proper foundation in our lives and that's why we encourage people who get saved to start doing discipleship. Because discipleship gives you a foundation. And if you have a right foundation, you can actually make good decisions based on the foundation. If you have no foundation in your life, if you don't understand the basic principles of the word of God, then you will be swept away and around by every wind of doctrine that comes flying your way and you'll be driven around like a kite. And that's what you do not want in your life because when you're driven around like a kite or when you're, you're pushed by the wind every, every which way, guess what you're going to do? You're going to drag someone else along with you. So the question that I'd like you to ask yourselves over, over the course of today, next week, and possibly the week after that, is what about you? What about you? What expectation do you have concerning your own ability to discern between good and evil? If you answered yourself honestly, how would you grade yourself? What is your and my ability to be able to take the word of God and to apply it to a situation and say, I'm evaluating this on this by this standard and then to follow through and make that decision. What's your ability to be able to do that? How do you rate yourself? Would you give yourself an A? A B? A C? Or a D? And if you give yourself whatever grade it is, 
is that grade discerned properly in the first place? Sorry, I've just put you in a, uh, in a, in a continual loop now. The question I would like to ask yourself is, are there areas in my life that I have failed to discern the good from the bad and have been following a particular course because simply I inherited it from someone else, I simply believe someone else, or I have settled for living this particular way because it's difficult for me to make that decision, but yet I know that it's wrong. Am I properly discerning things in my life or am I failing in certain areas? Do I need to really reevaluate my life and certain elements and put them aside and change the direction I'm going in those, in those places? Have I allowed certain things in my life to drag me back for too long because I've failed to discern, because I've failed to make the decision? You see, discerning, in a sense, is not just evaluating something and then evaluating and letting it go. True discernment, from the Bible's point of view, is evaluating something and then choosing to follow the good and forsake the evil. So my goal for you over the next two or three weeks is helping us to become better discerners. And what tools do I use? What tools does God, does God give me in order to do that? But the most important thing is, in order for you to, to, to become a better discerner, is am I willing to discern? Am I willing to put the effort in? Am I willing to make the choices that come with the discernment? Because otherwise, even though you may be able to evaluate something, it may be all for naught. How can I become a better discerner? How can I stop avoiding making the same errors over and over again? Let's look at the types of discernment. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. There is a discernment that comes directly from God, and we call this a miraculous type of gift. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Most of you are aware that there are gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. Some of you are aware that some of those gifts don't exist anymore. Some of you are, are not aware of that and mix up the miraculous gifts with the ongoing gifts. And this is one of the miraculous gifts, because if you look at verse 10, it says, To another, the Holy Spirit gives the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, look at what it puts discerning of spirits, where it puts discerning of spirits. It puts it between prophecy and tongues. It puts it between miracles and interpretation of tongues. All those things are what we call miraculous gifts. Those things do not exist today. And you might say, why don't they exist? They don't exist because we have the word of God complete in our hands. And they were in a transition period. You see, where they didn't have the word of God, 
as we have the New Testament fully complete in our hands, which gives us the perfect standard by which to live by and to evaluate things, they didn't have that. So imagine you as a church, imagine if we met and imagine if we only had maybe two letters in the Bible. Maybe you had 1 Corinthians and maybe you had Hebrews. What would I be preaching up here every week? You wouldn't have the complete word of God. So what God did, knowing that the word of God was going to take another 30, 40, 50 years to complete, what he did was, one, he gave the apostles the ability to do miracles, to verify the message they were giving to the Jews and to the world. But on top of that, he gave people certain abilities to be able to fill in the gaps in terms of the message do you understand? So in every church, God gave certain people the ability to prophesy. In other words, God gave those people a direct message. So people would stand up in the middle of a service at the right time and they would say, Thus saith the Lord. And God would speak through that person. And someone else might get up. And, and say a similar thing in a different language for someone else in that language to hear that message in their language. You see, the, there were Greeks and Italians and were there Maltese around that stage? I don't think there were any Maltese floating around. They, were, they came a bit later. Now, there were Maltese. But there were a number of different cultures in the church and God wanted to give some of those people a direct message from himself. So if I was Italian and, all, and I spoke Italian and I was sitting in a church with Greeks and whatever, most of us would speak Greek. But imagine that God directed a person who never knew Italian in the middle of a service. The pastor would say, does anyone have a message from the Lord? And someone would get up and say, Così dice Dio. And you'd look and you'd say, hang on a sec, that guy's Maltese, how does he know Italian? And God would speak to you directly with a message. And then someone else, for the, for the benefit of everyone else in the church, because they'd go, what is that Italian saying over there? What is that guy saying? God would give someone else the ability to be able to interpret it with no training in Italian at all. So they would then get up after the person gave that message and they would say, this is what God said with that person. God said this. Now, can you imagine how that would be in a church? And the reason God gave that is because the word of God was not complete. You couldn't, ha you couldn't have the depth. You couldn't, you can't, you, we, they did not have the fullness that we have today. So God gave people the ability to work miracles, prophecy, Tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, right in the middle of that, God gave people the ability to discern spirits. Now, why would God give people the ability to discern spirits? Because if a prophet would stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, there needed to be people with the ability to say, Hang on a sec, that's not from God, that message. That's from a different spirit. You see... Just as we have a concern that people come in the church who try to bring in false heresies and doctrines and they try to infiltrate the church and, and, to, and to break it apart with false doctrines, they had the same, if not more, 
of that problem. So God had to give certain people the ability, one, to interpret the tongues, but two, to judge the spirit that was actually speaking through that person. So if the person got up and said, thus saith the Lord, the Lord said that tomorrow you all have to hop on one leg five times and say these particular words, otherwise um, you will not be saved. Now that's a a dramatic example, that's a, a silly example. But do you get my point? Because if someone's saying, thus saith the Lord, and there's a chance that that person's actually saying something that's not correct, that's not biblically and doctrinally correct, God gave other people in the church the ability to say, that's not right. So you had people discerning spirits. And so the discerner of spirits was very, very necessary to protect the church from malevolent spirits from false spirits. But God also gave the people in the churches the ability to be able to discern spirits as well through another way. Turn to 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 because we begin to see here an example of another way to discern spirits without having a gift because that gift eventually died out 1st John chapter 4 verse 1 says beloved believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone into the world do you see the spirits and the false the false prophets he by know ye the spirit of God Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is, and this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. So here is an example of a test that is given to the people in the church to discern between a false spirit and a true spirit. And one of those tests is, if someone starts to prophesy and starts to say things along the lines of, you know, Jesus didn't come really in the flesh, that Christ wasn't in the flesh, he was a spiritual being. He didn't really, it wasn't him who really died on the cross. It was, that was a, it was like an image that was put there. It was only symbolic. John says, That's the Antichrist. Don't allow it in the church. So this is a test that is found in God's word to test a particular spirit or a particular prophecy. And they had problems in the early church because people were going around calling themselves Christians and they weren't Christians at all. They were Gnostics. They were everything else under the sun. But they were going around from church to church Making out as if they were evangelists. Making out as if they were missionaries. And the problem with not discerning properly is that it can lead to suffering and death. If they didn't discern properly, the danger in the church is that there'd be divisions that would come in 
false heresies, heresies would come in, false doctrine would come in, and the church would be split as is the devil's intention. But not properly discerning today can also lead to suffering and death. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, just to remind you about the type of thing that God expects from us today as well. Now, every fortnight, when we get together to observe the Lord's table, there is a passage that we read, and we read it for very good reason. It's because it says in verse 29 of chapter 11, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. See that word discerning? Every fortnight we beseech you to examine yourselves and to discern properly that thing which you hold in your hand, which is a symbol of Christ's own body and his blood. And if we take the matter lightly and we don't treat it with the reverence that it deserves, God judges. And in verse 30 it says, For this cause, for what cause? For their lack of discernment, for their lack of reverence. It says that they are weak, in verse 30, and uh, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. They were dead. That word sleep, when you see that word sleep in the New Testament, they died. Okay? And they were believers. And it's because God said, You're time to come home. When people make errors in discernment in the world, they die. When people decide to drink alcohol and then drive, lacking discernment, they kill themselves and they kill other people. When people take drugs for a, for a good time, some die and some cause themselves irreparable brain damage. When people have affairs, when married people have affairs, they show a lack of discernment and they risk their own families. When people steal money, they lack discernment because the likelihood is they're going to go to jail. When people make errors in judgment because of their lack of discernment, they irreparably damage their lives and the lives of people around them. If this is true in the physical world, if it's true that someone can kill themselves when they drink and drive, or, they, or people around us make plenty of stupid decisions every day of the week and they ruin their families, their careers, their lives, their, their friends and everything else around them, it's true doubly for the spiritual world. True spiritual people see the results of people's choices every day. We see them all around us. We see the broken lives. We see the, the mentally unstable. We see people that are, have ruined their lives because of stupid decisions and lack of discernment. And it breaks, and it should naturally break our hearts. Unfortunately, the unsaved do not see the same things we do. They do not have the same book that we have. They have not put their faith and trust in the words that God himself has given us.
unfortunately, the unsaved do not see the links between their decisions and the destruction of their own lives and souls. That's why Jesus calls us to be the lights of the world. You see, they live in darkness. They live in absolute darkness. Without light, nothing can be judged. I can't evaluate something and look at it and say, this has this particular shape, it looks like this, it does this particular thing. What am I going to do with it? If you don't have any light, you cannot discern anything. And this is where the world finds itself. But the Bible says if we have the light, then the Bible says that we are called to be the light of the world. And we should shine that light to others so they can also view their case in our light, in the light of Christ who is living in our lives. But if we hide the light, we're depriving the world of that true light and we are found to be deficient and miserly. So the Bible says for us to live with discernment. Live our lives with the same discernment, in the same light. Make choices that are correct. Why? Not just for our sakes, but for their sakes. Because if we don't make those choices, we put them at risk as well as us. And yes, it brings persecution with it. Praise God. That's fantastic. You know, when we make the right choices and we stand for the right things, it brings persecution. Bring it on. Bring it on. Because where there's no persecution, the likelihood is that we're not living in much light. We've dimmed it down like a, like a light dimmer. We don't want to shine too much light out there just in case they see us. There was a game that was being played on one of the, one of the final nights at the, at the camp. And it was called Underground Church. Okay? Underground Church. And they, these kids love Underground Church. Underground Church... If you think of the actual uh, the, the story behind the meaning behind it, it's actually quite dramatic. Because in many, church, in many countries in the world, the only way you can meet as a church is underground, is in secret, because you'll be persecuted. So the game was done at night, and there's a massive area of land over there with trees and, and, and ovals and things like that. And so what the goal is, is that there are two pastors in two rival teams, and... And the children are assigned to one of those pastors. So there are two, essentially two churches. And what their goal is to try to have as many church services in the middle of the darkness as possible before they're discovered by the, uh, by the police. And they're trying to have as many church services as they can and they have to try to protect their pastor because the goal of the police of those police is to find the pastor and put him in jail because once you've destroyed the pastor the church is scattered so that's the goal of the police and that's the goal of the police in many countries in the world where Christianity is outlawed it's to attack the pastor put the pastor in jail because they know that if they attack their head the shepherd the sheep scatter so in this particular game, they're, do, they're trying to do that. And it's, it was amazing to see because at night, everyone's got their little flash, flashlights, right? They've got their torches. And they're trying to have these little get-togethers, but they can't shine the torches too much because the more they shine the torches, the more the, the people will see where they are. But in our culture, God asks us to shine our torch. He asks us to be visible. 
And if it brings persecution, it brings persecution. And we should be the last people on earth to dim our torches. Last people. Because the, the persecution we experience over here is minuscule. Okay? The world needs our discernment. It needs to see the truth displayed and lived out, even if it causes them, them, the very people we're hoping to help, even if it causes them to persecute us. Most of the world, you see, has been conditioned to see the world and, and, to, and to make choices in a certain way. They've been given a pair of glasses to put on where they only see it through one particular colour. From one particular aspect. The Bible says they've been kept in prison for most of their lives and they have no real understanding about what real spiritual freedom is or what real spiritual and life is. They can only judge by the darkness that they're surrounded with, which is very poorly. So what does God think about the situation? What does God say to us as people? Well, there's a particular story about a fellow called Jonah. You know the story of Jonah? When God came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to warn them because their sins have reached heaven. They have done so many evil things that I'm about to destroy them. But before I do, I want you to go to them and to warn them and to tell them to repent of their evil deeds. So what does Jonah do? As any good prophet does, he runs the other way. He says, those guys, there is no way I'm going to those guys over there. In fact, I'd be happy if you wiped them off the face of the, of the planet. So he goes the other way. Gets on a boat. And God has other plans. You know, when God calls you to something, maybe you can't say no. Because he ends up getting thrown off a ship which was going in the opposite direction, gets swallowed by a fish, and then gets spewed up, guess where? Close to where he was meant to be anyway. Jonah knew the Ninevites. He knew the Assyrians. These guys were, were absolutely ruthless. But God had to forcibly bring him to save these people. In fact, there's a particular point, we'll read the passage now, there's a particular point where he begrudgingly gives them the message. So he goes in the streets of Nineveh and he proclaims that God is going to judge in, in, in a few days, Nineveh's going to fall, Nineveh's going to be judged. And he's hoping, even though he's saying those words, that God's going to judge him anyway. So after he finishes the message in Nineveh, he goes out and sits on a hill outside of the town and he sits there and God allows a gourd to grow and a plant to grow over him because it was pretty hot okay so he allows this, this shade to grow over him but then but then what happens is a worm a worm um, uh, goes into that plant and it dies and he gets really really upset and God says what are you upset about what you, you you're you're upset about the plant that's gone because it, it's not giving you shade anymore and what about the Ninevites you don't care about them at all. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. So we'll read the, the, just the last passage. 
Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is after he's delivered the message. Kill me! I don't want to be around anymore. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So he's waiting out there in a booth and he's, he's hoping that they don't properly repent. He got upset because they were repenting already when he's actually there. They're already starting to turn around. He sees the repentant heart they actually have. And he gets that really upset he's, and he's hoping that they don't properly repent because he's waiting for those fireworks to come down. He wants to see the place thoroughly destroyed because he hates the Ninevites. Look at verse 9. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not laboured, neither madest it grow, but came up, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. You have, you've put your heart on that, that you've lost that. Look at verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle. Now look at that. God said, I know they can't discern from their right hand and their left. I know they are spiritually blind. God doesn't want to destroy them. In fact, God doesn't want to destroy anyone. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. Now let me ask you, let me put you in a similar circumstance today. If God called you to go and share a message of repentance to ISIS in the Middle East, let's say God called you today to go to the, the guys who were lopping off heads, persecuting Christians, destroying minorities and, and implementing uh, some crazy laws over there. Imagine if God called you to go there and he says to you, I want you to go to Iraq and Syria and I want you to go and share the message. How many of us would be on a boat going the opposite way? You know what I mean, don't you? Now, when I think of ISIS, I'm thinking those guys. I, in a sense, I can't. As a pastor, I have a compassionate heart, but by the same token, I want them judged. But imagine if God said to you, because that's the exact analysis, the exact comparison, because the Assyrians were lopping off people's heads, were destroying people's lives. They'd, they'd put heads on sticks 
along the city line to show people this is how ruthless they are. They would go into areas you know, they didn't they didn't um, agree with them. They didn't, if they didn't succumb to their leadership, if they showed any resistance, they would kill everyone and they would make public examples of everyone. Not much difference between between the Ninevites and ISIS. So Jonah, really, is representative of the hearts of most of us. He wasn't unusual. We look at Jonah and we say, oh, how could Jonah have disobeyed God like that? But imagine if God asked you to go and preach to ISIS. How many of you would say, are you sure? You better tell me again. I want to see lightning bolts. I want to see everything to make sure that I don't have to go over there. And then you still try and find an excuse not to go. And maybe it's not because you were scared for your own life. Or maybe you'd show up in some video on YouTube some, sometime with a, with a guy with, a, with a, a sword to your throat. But maybe it's because you hate them so much and for what they're doing that you just don't think they are worthy to repent or to be given a chance. But do you see the heart of God here? Even with people that evil... The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but it all should come to repentance. And what's true for God in the Old Testament is true for God now. God is not willing that any should perish. And we might, might not have the love for them that we're supposed to have, but you know something? He does. He has the love for everyone around us, and he wants us to have the same love for them. So as we continue this series, I want you to understand that your discernment affects not just you. It affects everyone else around you. It affects not just the other Christians around you because you can actually, you can break their hearts. You know, the, you know when you make bad choices in your life, who is it that you affect the most? Who is it you affect the most? Don't you affect your family the most? You know when people make bad choices, they break their family's hearts the most because their family loves them the most. And when you make bad spiritual choices, you know who you, whose heart you break the most? Apart from your physical family, it's your spiritual family. Our heart should break when people actually wander off in the wrong direction and put themselves at risk. But understand something, that whatever you and I do affects them. So if we're not making right choices, if we're not discerning properly, then we affect them in ways we don't even see. And sometimes in very, very bad ways. Someone may be on an edge, wavering between belief and unbelief. Maybe their faith is only this small and it's been crushed to a, to a, a, low, a low point. Maybe the devil has had a field day with them. And then we come along and we go making choices in front of them that are contrary to the word of God. Maybe we show them what hypocrites we are. And the first thing they do is say, maybe they're looking for some reason to keep on going and we don't give them that reason. We find excuses. You know what's wonderful about God? Is that he, he does not give up. God doesn't give up. We do, but he doesn't. And you know what's beautiful about God? Is that where someone who is blind, God can give them their sight back again. So if someone is completely blind to the truth, 
It's God who opens up their eyes to the truth. He can give them their sight. That's what Jesus taught us. Someone who is lame, he can make them walk. Someone who is blind, he can make them see. Someone who is a leper, an outcast, he can make them be accepted. He can bring them wholeness again. These aren't just physical things. These are spiritual things. Because lame people can't save themselves. They can't walk or do anything to save themselves. Blind people can't see where they're going. People with leprosy have no hope in this world. And God can give them hope. Do you understand? God can give sight to a blind man. He can raise the dead. Otherwise, that song that we sing, I was, I once was lost, but now I'm found and was blind, but now I see, would not be true. We were once blind, were we? We didn't see it at one stage. Yet God opened up our eyes to the truth. It was the light that opened up our eyes. God can give light and sight to the blind. And guess who he uses to do that? You and me. So my challenge to you over the next two or three weeks is to examine your life. Are there things in your life where you are not showing proper discernment? Are there things in your life that is causing heartache to your brothers and sisters? Are you properly assessing the things in your life by the word of God? If you're not, now is the time to evaluate yourself. And do it honestly. Because the time is short and the days are evil. And the more time we waste, the more we rob God of his glory and we rob the people around us of encouragement and support. So let's, uh, let's challenge ourselves to the truth and with the truth. And we'll look more over the coming weeks on how to discern using the word of God. Okay? God bless you. Thank you. I'm Paul.